Today's episode is sponsored by Dr. Kirsten Lauritsen of Northwest Functional Medicine. Dr. K combines healthcare and sports nutrition for the female athlete. Whether you are a professional athlete or an avid fitness enthusiast, it is devastating and exhausting to manage recurring injuries and symptoms from acute or chronic illness. Unfortunately, we are seeing an increasing number of women, including female athletes, that are experiencing performance deficits and daily symptoms from autoimmune disease and GI tract symptoms like constant bloating, pain, and constipation, nutrient deficiencies, and hormone imbalances. These conditions and symptoms often affect training, daily life, and accomplishing big and small goals. Dr. K's mission is to improve sports performance and nutrition without sacrificing an athlete's health. If you have been dealing with daily symptoms and would like to experience better energy, improved gut health, and immune system resiliency while also tackling those sports performance goals, head to nwfunctionalmedicine.com and sign up for a free consultation with Dr. K today. Well, hello, everybody. This is Hear Her Sports. And of course, I'm Elizabeth Emery, your host and producer. Oh my gosh, I am so excited about today's guest, sports nutritionist Stephanie Sherling. After rower Afri Keogh mentioned in episode 109 that the Irish Rowing Federation had a nutritionist, I wanted to find out more about what other top teams are doing to support their athletes around fueling. I am mostly curious because when I raced as a pro, no trade teams worked with nutritionists, nor did I ever talk to a nutritionist on the U.S. national team. It really was the Wild West. Women's cycling was filled with rumors of riders eating nothing but salad all winter long in order to start the season lean. Stephanie has great stories about how she got started in sports nutrition, plus her answers to my questions about power-to-weight ratio, metabolic efficiency training, and fueling during training are all super informative, even for those of us not putting in the hours that the Trek Segafredo women are. A quick note for us non-metric folks, 20 centimeters is almost 8 inches. Keep that in mind for one of Stephanie's stories. Now, let's get onto the show and meet Stephanie. Stephanie Scherlink is a certified dietitian and nutritionist specializing in sports nutrition. She has spent the past 15 years marrying athletics and nutrition, or the science behind the sport, focusing on education, science-based research, and today's best practices. Always challenging the status quo in the sports nutrition industry, over the years, Stephanie has been providing the highest level of nutritional support and other services to a myriad of professional athletes across a variety of sports, including Olympic gold medalists Greg Van Avermaet and Nafi Tiam, Team Belgium, RSC Anderlecht, and UCI World Tour Road Cycling Team, Trek Segafredo's men's and women's teams. Stephanie holds a bachelor's degree in nutrition sciences, a master's degree in sports nutrition, has featured in various specialized publications, and is one of the most in-demand speakers in her field. We are so lucky she is here today with us. She is also the author of five books, The Sport Cookbook, The Sport Cookbook for Kids, The Ultimate Sport Cookbook, The Optimal Sport Weight, and The Sport Cookbook Number 2. They are unfortunately all in Dutch at this moment, but she often posts recipes from those books on her social media in English. As a Trek Segafredo fan and someone who loves talking about nutrition, I am so thrilled to have you here today, so welcome. Thank you. It's nice to hear that you're a a fan. (laughs) Yes, I'm a former pro racer, so you know, oh, there is cool. that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to start with, you know, an overview of what you do because you're involved in so many aspects of nutrition and work with a range of teams and clubs and athletes. So, you know, like tell us a little bit about it. Okay. Well, 
I guess I have to go back to 2006 where I graduated and I've known all that time that my goal uh, was to to be able to work in, in yeah, the world of sports and especially the professional sports, but I don't know in other countries, but in Belgium in 2006, sports nutrition wasn't really uh, something where people were waiting for. So I was kind of disappointed when I graduated that I really, oh, I, I put a lot of effort in it. And now I can say the last years and uh, especially the last five years that also in Belgium, the importance of nutrition is more recognized. And yeah, I actually, I have too much work now, but then in the beginning it was like, okay, how am I going to make clear that nutrition can be important for your performance? So only in 2009, so three years after I graduated and I took that time to do some extra research, extra education, um, also in other countries, to learn more about sports nutrition. But then in 2009, I started working for the Belgian Lotto cycling team. And I did that for five years until 2015. And I have to say that once you get into the, yeah, into the, the flow, I would say, then you get some more experience and you get a bigger network and people start realizing, oh, maybe we could use that information and advice as well. And that grew and grew. And then now at the moment, I work with the Trek Sigafredo team, so World Tour Cycling team, combined by um, football. I work in soccer, I have to say, in Belgium, the national champion Belgian soccer team, Anderlecht. I like this combination a lot, football and cycling, because it's two different worlds. But um, on the nutritional side, it's super interesting to see all kinds of different sports. And then I also work for the Belgian Olympic Committee, where, uh, for example, now in Tokyo, I worked with eight top athletes in both track and field, uh, swimming, rowing, so uh, a few totally different sports again but also my role is more coordinating to see does every federation or sports team in Belgium get the information that they need if not who of our colleagues can give advice to the kayak team or the taekwondo team or the so that's more like an, a role in not guiding all of our Olympic selected athletes, but to see if everyone gets the help that they need. I want to go back. You know, it's so interesting to me, a couple of things. One, how did you know that you were interested in nutrition on the sports side, because as you said, not that many people were talking about it. Yeah. And then the other thing that I found completely fascinating was in 2006, which really isn't that long ago, there wasn't that much interest. Yeah. Huh. And really there wasn't. For me, I get, I'm overwhelmed at the moment by young students emailing me, Stephanie, we want to 
come and do an internship. We want to learn more. We want. We are studying sports um, nutrition, or we are doing nutrition and dietetics to be able to work in the sports world. And sometimes I think, oh, I actually in two thousand and six, I felt like the only one in <laughs> whole Belgium, which is isn't true, but there weren't just not so many. And if there were sports dietitians, then they were combining their role as a sports dietitian with working in a hospital or in a medical environment. And now it's like, yeah, there's more and more interest in it. So that's a really, really big difference between now. And I hope me and, and my, my other colleagues who were from my years or, or my generation that we we really helped or tried to make a way or find our place in, in the sports world. And my interest came because I, I was an, um, a sprinter, 100 and 200 meter sprinter on the track. And my family was doing all kinds of sports. So I come from a family who is my parents too, my brothers, everyone is interested in, in sports. And I, went to a school in, in Belgium, in Ghent, where there was a top sport, I don't know how to explain in, in English, but there was, you could study the, uh, Latin and languages and economy, etc. But you could also follow the road to become a professional athlete. And there was gymnastics, athletics, so track and field. And at that time, those were the two only sports. Now you have cycling and football and all kinds of things. But at that point, the first generation in Belgium was gymnastics and athletics. And since I was a runner, I, I did not follow this education level. I followed the, let's say, normal road. But for lunchtime, I sometimes I ate together with my teammates who were in my track and field team, but also at that time in school, they followed this top sport education uh, level. And then at lunchtime, we all sat together and then the gymnasts were sitting next to me and we were like eating and wow, we're hungry and we have to train this afternoon or this evening. And, and the gymnasts were, they had a glass of water and an, and an apple and some pills in a, in a, in a box and I was super fascinated because I thought how many hours do you do 25 30 hours of training per week and only on an apple so I I didn't really get the yeah the idea of not eating or not a lot and then training that much being a young growing developing girl woman so yeah it kind of kept me busy and I must say there I, I made the switch and I thought I really want to know more about this and when we are 18 in Belgium you have to decide okay which way do you want to go and what do you want to do later so on the university I did the nutrition and dietetics part or education level so then you are educated and you can work in a hospital. You can help people who want to lose weight, who have like 
kidney issues or uh, diabetes or about sports, there was nothing, not even a, a word about sports. So I didn't know anything. When I graduated, I, I thought, yeah, okay, but I want to go and do something with it in sports. And I have my own experience as an athlete. I know a little bit what I need and when, but I cannot use this, only this information. So, and then I, I studied further and I went to the Netherlands because in Belgium we were a little bit behind on the education part so in the Netherlands they're on on that part and they're always a, a step ahead so I went to the Netherlands and did some extra education on sports nutrition and then I followed as the first uh, one in Belgium the um, the education from the International Olympic Committee so the the sports nutrition course, which you could do in Australia for one year or two years from a distance. And because I was yeah, very interested to get into this Belgian sports world, I decided to, to follow the course from, from a distance, but it helped me a lot in getting more and more information and experience at the theoretical side. And I had to do some research like as a, a final exam, I had to do some research in whatever sports and about whatever you are interested in. So in my mind, there were still the young gymnasts and I decided to check, okay, the gymnasts in, in Flanders, how, how is it with their nutritional pattern and what they are doing? Is that actually correct or not? So I'm talking about... 2006 7 so I went back to the clubs and I asked 30 young gymnasts to write down for one week what they eat and drink during a day and actually I was kind of shocked because I noticed so many mistakes or so many strange things like like just an apple for a whole day or just some yogurt or only a salad while they were only between 8 and 15 years old. So the difference between the energy expenditure, so what they needed and what they only ate was so huge that I wondered how, how is that even possible and why do you follow these strict rules? So then I heard from all those gymnasts that they say, yeah, we follow the, what the coach says, what the coach says. So I, I added the second part to my research because actually you only needed to check 30 gymnasts or athletes and what they eat and drink and what they should eat and drink. And that's it. But I, for me, that wasn't enough. So I went to the coaches and I said, yeah, I have a nice quiz to do just to see how much you know about sports nutrition in my, in the back of my mind was, yeah. All your little gymnasts listen so carefully to you. So I really want to know what, what do you actually know about it? And um, I was shocked again because they, yeah, they, I asked them also, do you sometimes give advice? Yes, always. Where do you get the information you give to your young athletes? Oh, from my own experience was the main answer. And then, yeah, then you know already. Mm, this isn't really how it should be. And then I gave them a lot of quotes or, or sentences where I, 
I made like a statement and they ha had to say this is correct or not and like uh, potatoes make you gain weight and uh, pineapple makes you burn fat and so the typical um yeah things but and they had they, yeah they they had they had it not all wrong but almost and and then I thought this on the long term this cannot be unpunished some there will be some effects on the on the in a later phase of, of their lives. So then for me, the research wasn't finished yet. So I went and see, or, or I looked for 30 gymnasts who stopped gymnastics, but had done it at the same level during the same age as the ones that I had in my first group to see okay and and now you stop gymnastics and how do you feel what happened afterwards uh, do you have any how is your relationship with your body weight with your nutrition do you find anything special that you think is linked to your gymnastics career that was the for me the worst part to realize that uh, the effects can be first of all from the 30 that I found only 23 wanted to give me their answers because the other seven they said yeah Stephanie I for me it's a case closed I have so bad experience I I, I don't want to think about it all over again because it's it hurts too much so that was already a shock that they that they even didn't want to participate in the research anymore because they said no please it's too bad so I don't those results I I didn't even take into account but then the others there were two girls who were yeah who could not have babies anymore so who really lost their or never even had their periods and then there was one who grew 20 centimeters at the age of 19 so she stopped at 18 and then she started growing again which your body isn't ready for anymore so yeah your wrists your ankles your knees your tendons your yeah it's not really good then some with osteoporosis, a lot of uh, so really a lot of a lot of issues. And and I'm talking about 15 years ago, and I hope it's a lot a lot better now, and there's more attention for it. But sometimes I still hear some stories left or right, which show that yeah, there and it it it, it improved, but still um and it's it's so important and like on that moment there so when i was still in school sitting amongst them and then doing the research of course it was already another group because it i took very young young girls for my research but it confronted me with yeah the 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 idea that education and guidance and is necessary and, and that on coaching levels but also the young athletes and, and now I'm talking about mainly girls but uh, the same count for men that there was so much 
to do. And now you can see that it's more like a sports dietitian is more and more part of the team. The medical staff is, and, and at that point there was the coach and the, and the doctor who tried to be the dietitian and all in one, but he, he or she didn't have the time either, but yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's hard to hear that story. Yeah. And it's, in the end, I, I, um, at first I got into trouble because there was um, an issue at that time in the gymnastic world in, in Flanders and someone sent all my information to a journalist who is uh, in Belgium really known. And the day before my, so here you need to defend, I don't know if that's the correct term, but yeah. to explain what you what your research was and what results you found, etc. And the day before I had to present my exam, um, it was all over in the in the Belgian newspapers. Wow! Um, yeah, which wasn't a really good thing because I almost uh, had to do my year all over because you cannot publish anything that hasn't been. Uh, defended yet or or presented yet but then in the end I I got even I got a and I don't really mind at all but I got a prize for it because they said okay yeah it's something we needed to know and it's good that you found this and we will do something about it but then in the end it took still a lot of years where I knew that it wasn't still all fixed and it probably will never be all fixed, but and still now when I get well, I'm a bit busy with the professional sports, which makes that at home I cannot really on an individual base help so many people anymore. But when parents call me and say, Oh my daughter, we wonder if she gets the right advice from this or this person, and it still um yeah touches me and i immediately i want to because i know how important it is for young athletes still with bodies that are changing and and hormones who have to find their way that it's so important if you can help them quite quickly that you can prevent a lot of issues later what do you think started the change i mean again 2006 wasn't that long ago. I mean, what do you think caused the change and like got people wanting to think about it more and eat better and think about it in terms of results? Yeah. And I think it's really what you say, the result, because I, I was a bit lucky to be able to help some athletes from 2015 to 2016. I had three athletes who participated in the Olympic Games in, in Rio. And uh, the three of them got a medal and two of them a gold one. And super stupid, actually. Uh, but there was one journalist during the live stream who said, ah, there's maybe a link between those three because they all have the same sports dietitian. And it's like, it's now that I hear it, it sounds like, <laughs> stupid and a bit crazy but 
on that moment my phone exploded my mailbox was full of other um, journalists from television radio and it was like they never even thought about ah oh, yeah maybe nutrition and it's not even it's it's always a puzzle and and who will say that it's their nutrition especially not me because it's it's training and talent and and everything needs to it's the puzzle that needs to be made but it's like since then people make the the link and they say ah so nutrition is important and makes you perform better and and it's not that moment in Rio but it's just that since then there's more attention for it more I'm talking about Belgium because I know in the Netherlands when I studied in 2006 7 8 a bit more in the Netherlands in every village there was a sports dietitian and I'm sure in the United States as well but here in Belgium we are yeah always a bit later on in some fields and I think automatically it would have come more and more. But now if you look in professional football, cycling, I don't think there's a team left that doesn't have a sports dietitian in their medical staff, which in 2006, you were the only one team if, if right. you had someone yeah, here. Eh? One of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you was because I recently spoke to an Irish rower and she talked about the nutritionist that she worked with, which was with the Irish Federation. Yeah. And I said, do all federations have somebody like that? And she said, yes. And, you know, like certainly in my experience, which was before 2006, but we had no nutritionists anywhere. I never saw anybody talking about nutrition way back then. So, and I'm in the States, obviously. Yeah. And that's, Really, that's the difference, I think, between especially the last five years. Even so, that in, in the cycling world, the professional cycling world, you even have teams now who are maybe, I don't know, because what is the, the golden rule or the standard, but they're not robots either. So there are teams where every gram of everything is measured and calculated and they weigh everything and they just give you what you need on a plate and this is it and just eat it and for me nutrition is more than functional food hmm. i mean that it's super functional because what i also do is since the main part of my time goes to the professional athletes, but I really don't like to say no, <laughs> which kind of is a, sometimes a problem because people say, oh, I'm going to run a marathon. I would like to have the advice too. Uh, just like you advised this marathon runner for the Olympics, I would like to have the same advice. I'm building i i already have a platform but we are upgrading it and one of the next weeks it will be online but i do a lot for recreational athletes too making sports cookbooks 
So this way I say, okay, no, sorry, I cannot help you individually, but have you seen here, use this calculator or use this flowchart or um, use these tools. I give them to you. You can find them on my platform or you can find these recipes in this sports cookbook. So I try to find solutions to help as many athletes as possible without having them to consult me all the time. But that's something that I, I really like to do as well. As listeners of this show, you know that women are rarely covered in sports media. It's been that way for so many decades. We actually learned that from Cheryl Cookie in episode 71. In Cheryl's most recent update to her long-term study, which came out this year, she found the percentage was the same. Although we keep talking about it, still only 4% of sports media coverage is about women. The only way to change that is to fix it ourselves. The easiest way for you to move that needle is to be part of this show. Donate money, share it with friends, and post on social. Hear Her Sports uses Patreon for monthly pledges. You can find that at patreon.com slash hearhersports. Patreon may not be your thing. You can also give one-time donations at hearhersports.com. All of your financial support helps fund the cost of putting the show together, hosting the audio, website fees, the app I use to record calls with guests, and a few apps I use to improve the athlete guest experience. With more patrons, our first goal is to add transcripts to the show notes. Transcribing audio is done by a paid app and then edited, so not an insignificant addition. One bonus of transcripts is you, the listener, can go back and look again at any cool bits from an episode you wanted to think more about. Above all that, supporting independent sports media, like Hear Her Sports, increases the percentage of sports media coverage about women. You can bring more female athletes into the spotlight so young girls and women can see what is possible. It's interesting what you said about the cycling teams, because I remember a couple of years ago watching the men's tour and the commentators talked about it being one of the riders' birthdays, but they said none of the guys would eat very much cake. And that seems so odd to me, like certainly during a grand tour, the riders can eat a little bit of cake. Of course. And if they can't, then we should all stop eating cake <laughs> because if you look at the amount of calories that you burn it's so high that there's room for a piece of cake and yes that, that's what i mean with um with being functional so that's why i told you about the books and and the platform because i try to explain to everyone because if you give them recipes to recreational or top athletes here make this recipe and don't think about it then you don't learn from it so i i try also in my books i make the recipes i divide them into okay today's a rest day what can you cook on a rest day what do you need what is better not to make today but on a high intensity day so i try to explain them and and this way i make it a bit functional because if you don't understand what carbs are and when you need them the most or when you need a bit less then it's difficult to find your way in in sports nutrition but it's so much more than that and of course you can nowadays we have if i talk from trexigafredo we have 43 men and women on super high level cycling we have their body composition we have their power data so we know how many watts 
they produced, we know how many calories they burned, we know their body composition, so we can calculate exactly what you need for today. We have chefs, we have swaniers who prepare the drinks, the bars, but it's they're not robots. They also, some of our guys like to have their plates and they can if they want, for example, when you're in the Tour de France, you can ask in our team, you can ask to have everything calculated, but you don't have to. So we have a mixed team. We have guys who say, uh, or girls who say, if you will decide it for me, oh, please, it gives me stress. <laughs> and you have others who say, oh, please, Stephanie, calculate it for me because it takes away my stress because otherwise I'm at the buffet and I think, hmm, should I eat a bit more or is this okay? Or should I eat less? And then they start doubting or wondering. And we can make it easy for them by calculating everything. But it can also be that someone likes, yeah, it's something to look forward to at the end of a day when it's uh, stormy weather and, and you fell or you had a bad day, then your food is something to look forward to. And for me, it's the most important thing is what do you want? What do you need from me to help you? And not, I will never be the one, it's not in my character. And also, I think I don't believe it works to say, okay, this is it. And now you will listen <laughs> to me <laughs> because I, it's not, not my way of uh, working anyway. Well, I would have been one of the ones that wanted you to make my plate. And partly because I think nutrition is, is an area where you can quickly get yourself into trouble yes. and it's hard to get out of that. And especially with the level of athletes, for example, the women on Trek Segafredo, you know, tons of intensity, tons of hours, you know, relying on, you know, hunger is not always going to work because, you know, you have stress, you have travel, you have competition, and all of that is going to influence perceived hunger. Yes, that's true. And you need a bit training on that part too. So you need to get to know your body and what happens if, so if you would know your body composition, your body weight, and let's say it's perfect like it is, then you need to make sure that for everything you do, you refill everything you need because otherwise you start burning something from the inside, but that's not, the goal so you need to start yeah getting to know your body and it's good that you mentioned the women because it's with men it's more like oh, okay you say it's like this okay let's try it and and they give me feedback and hup, 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 voila and it's fixed <laughs> and women think about it more like yeah but I, are you sure and but i used to eat less of this and are you sure that it's okay? And, and so you need to take more time to not convince them, but let them experience that your body weight is not at all going up. If you just eat what you need, then you burn it too. I always try to keep the relationship with food healthy and not to, it cannot be an obsession and it shouldn't be the topic on the contrary so it's it 
will help you perform better. And isn't that why we are in a professional environment to make sure you're, you are the best you and not compare with anybody else. And what I like a lot about our team is that sometimes I see women coming from other teams or having had some experience in, in other places. And then they come and then in training camp, they see that food is not even an issue or we are not even looking at each other's plates or we are not even weighing you all, all the time or, or not at all even. And, and then you kind of see the, the, the relief, like, oh, okay, I can eat pasta here. Okay, sit down, relax, talk a bit about everything, but not about eating salad all the time or not comparing or feeling yeah like the one taking the largest plate or <laughs> it's, yeah. it's something that if everyone just looks after him or herself then then that's perfect you don't need to compare by others or and if ever and of course sometimes it happens eh, that we see someone who is yeah you can see it immediately that you're eating less and less or or in a typical way like small things or it's good that our, our team is also alert so I know it very quickly when someone tends to go in a in a too strict way mm. I really like working in, in, in our team because it's like that everyone watches each other and not watches each other like uh, <laughs> controlling. No, I mean, um, it's taking care of each other. Like, it's not like, oh, she is doing this or he is doing that. No, it's more like, Stephanie, are you aware that uh, maybe it's good to have a talk? Or So it's always in, in a way like, okay, we... We are taking care of each other and it's not to confront you with it or to control you. It's just if you need help, just let me know and, and I'll help you. And everyone, even when you're not the sports dietitian, then still you, yeah, you will, you, you try to be all on the same page and Everyone helps each other, and this is super nice, actually. You're making me more of a Trek Segafredo fan. <laughs> ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were already... Already. No, it's like, really, you, you will hear it more uh, when you talk to other people, maybe, but it's, it's more like a family than, than a team. And this makes it really nice, because everyone... I, I never have the impression that someone was afraid to come and tell me or to ask some help or to reach out when when you or your teammate or someone else needs something that yeah and so what are the athletes coming to you about and how does that all work i mean are you on site or yeah. is it all you know remote yeah, um, it's a combination. So in December, we always go on training camp with the whole team. And for me, the December camp is super important because it's the only time where there is no race going on. 
and where all of our men and all of our women cyclists are there and also all of our doctors, all of our swaniers, the two chefs, the management, everyone is there. So I always have kind of a plan like, okay, I want to see everyone individually. I want to do a one session in, for the whole group. I really would like to see the doctors. I really would like... And then, of course, everyone else has a super busy program too. But every time we fix it. And this is super nice because we have new team members now again. So it's something that happens every year. You there's Some leave the team and some new people come in. So it's nice to get to know each other live in real life and then after that can be more like a remote i do let's say 30 or 40 race days every year so every grand tour i do the start of it then the classics i'm lucky to live in belgium so it's super close but anyway i would do it so the classic period from the end of february until the beginning of may i'm constantly going up and down to the hotels and then the both our women and men's team are there together which is also nice but on the same time we have let's say six women and eight men but during the classic period we also have races going on in other countries and I cannot be everywhere at once but for the races we have a good system we have chefs we have swaniers we have doctors who even when I'm not around, they follow the, the nutritional system that we have for the races. And I'm more involved at that point to prepare riders who are at home for their next race. So I do a bit both the individual guidance, but also like creating a system which works for everyone even when I'm not there, that they know uh, today is a mountain stage. Ah, this means we need to do this and that. The chefs know it. The swaniers know it. The cyclists know it. And I'm available. If they need me, they can call me or I can. And I'm always there to, to the start of the three grand tours. And then for the one-day races, we or I'm there or they know what to do. But for me... The individual guidance is more important when riders are at home because once you go to the Tour de France, you have to be ready. If you come there and you say, okay, and now I'm going to watch what I eat, uh, then yeah, what did you do the last uh, <laughs> six weeks or 12 weeks? If you right. did everything wrong, you're not ready. So that's more for me, training camps, altitude camps, being at home, and help them there is more useful because when they get to the races, we have everyone around making sure that riders have what they need. So it's preparing them for that race. That is the, the main part of my, uh, my work. Well, you know, I'd love to talk about power to weight ratio. And we've sort of hinted at maintaining a performance weight. I mean, I guess I'd love to hear your thoughts about the power to weight ratio and how important that is. And also, you know, like how do athletes find that sweet spot of high power and mm -hmm. low weight, but not sort of crossing that line into danger zones? Yeah, that's a super good question. And it's 
both a bit experience from the sports dietitian side and the feeling of the the rider so if you would like to know this sweet spot for yourself it's always good to measure body composition we use a dexa scanner for that because it's still the most accurate way to get a view on your body composition and from there you can decide exactly where you can go in terms of body fat percentage muscle mass we have men who weigh uh, 58 kilos and we have others who weigh more than 80 kilos and there's always a minimum you cannot say oh, i'm 80 kilos so if i would lose 10 i would be a better climber yeah but you would still not be the best climber because then you're still too heavy and you would lose all the power which makes you so strong to win one of the classic races so it's what i always try to do is to based on body composition explain what type of cyclist are you what would what is your together with your endurance test but what are your best qualities and let's let's get the best out of that and not try to lose even more weight to be able to climb better if you're still if you're not a climber at all so it's super important to look at your body composition and not on your body weight and length because that doesn't say anything and to make sure you find the good balance between being fit and have a good fat percentage but not too low either because then you have a lower body weight but if for every kilo you lose you have less watts that you can push then what's the sense of losing weight so there's always um, a line where the watts and the weight cross each other where you could have the best power output with the lowest you can go in body weight but still not too low and how to decide on that is i would really recommend you to have an expert look at it and look at your body type body composition and and i have riders who for years tried to be at a weight which wasn't at all realistic for them so they spent a lot of time under eating eating low carb doing a lot of efforts training sessions who are way too hard to do on a low carb base and so your training quality is super low you don't recover so you're constantly under eating under performing to be at a lower weight and then in the end when you can make them realize that if they would only weigh two kilos more or even five kilos more but that they can ride so much faster and leave everyone behind and win a race then yeah what's the point of being at a lower weight so i think the most important thing is to from a far away perspective look at your own body type body composition 
and make a realistic plan. If you can lose some weight, okay, how much? And when? Take all the time you need. Don't push it in one or two weeks because then it's, it doesn't make any sense. Make sure you have time. If you are preparing for something that is only in three months, then use the whole three months to slowly, slowly get there. And you will see that training quality stays super high and that in the end, you also reach that body weight, which is realistic for you because you looked at your body composition and decided this is realistic for me. And, and that's the way to do it. And still so many mistakes are made on that. Yeah, I would expect so. And and do you have trouble convincing athletes of that plan you just laid out? I have to say, sometimes it's better if they are not convinced, which I think now is easier for me than, than before. Uh, years ago, it was more difficult. Now they, most riders or athletes in general come to me and ask what you see in my body composition or what you think is and then pretty fast they are convinced but if someone is not convinced then sometimes I just let them do what they think <laughs> is best and it helps because sometimes they feel or they must admit like okay this is not working <laughs> or when they really want to do some and then they get sick or they get and then I never say oh, see it <laughs> but I don't do but then just say okay you you feel that it doesn't work and you don't feel super super good so let's just try it another way and after that you can still go back to what you're used to or but just give it a try and then most of the times they are willing to try something differently if they see that eventually their body weight composition stays the same or changes if we wanted it to change and they feel super good then why would you go back to something that maybe wasn't feeling equally good so sometimes it needs a little bit of efforts to convince them but I think when you know where you're talking about and if you can explain why, and, and that's the main thing. I think also top athletes are getting smarter as well. They read or see things and they sometimes come with the most recent research and, and you need to make sure you know all about it. <laughs> you really need to explain why and how and and then you get them or you you can convince them uh, better and i expect having a team of other riders you know following a similar plan and seeing success helps as well yes they are a bit the ambassadors sometimes <laughs> yeah or in football if i compare to football if you have like the captain and the the main or the more experienced guys on your side and, and they are doing, and then young guys, they look up to them and they, now also we will have some uh, young riders in the team and you always see that on training camp, they, they steal with their eyes or they look at more experienced riders. What do they eat? What do they do? How, how do they train? 
they give each other tips and tricks, which is super nice to see as well. But that works too, yeah. I gather that you're an advocate of eating enough carbohydrates. I recently had a conversation about metabolic efficiency training, and I'd love to hear what you think about that. Yeah, it's all about give your body what it needs. I'm not someone who will say you need to eat high carb all of the time. So I look more at at your training schedule. So if you would have your week and there's uh, one day of rest and then long, slow um, endurance session, a shorter session with interval, maybe you go into the gym. So it's really defining, okay, so when you go into the gym and you want your body to get stronger, you need more bricks, building bricks to make your muscles stronger. So on that day, we will give your body more protein, divide it over the whole day because you cannot take or absorb all the protein all at once. But the next day is only a rest day. Okay, you will burn a lot less. We will make sure you get your fiber, your vitamins, some carbs, but not too much. Unless the next day in the morning you have a long interval session. Ah, then in the evening on the rest day, we will add some carbs already to make your body ready for the next interval session. If the day after that is a day with a longer session and maybe the first hour you do maybe without carbs, so in a fasted state, then the evening before we will already take that into account. So it's, for me, I always explain them that it, your nutrition or your week is like a flow. You, you don't have separate days. You have like a flow. What's coming next and what did you do today and what's coming tomorrow? Your nutrition needs to be adapted to what you do. And then you have both for your body composition a really good effect. Your training quality will be super high because when you need carbs, there are carbs. When you do a session in a fasted state, there are no carbs. So you get the best out of that session. So I work with the coaches a lot to see what does the training program look like. Um, Because otherwise you get interval sessions with only water. Three hours, only water. Then they come home super hungry. You start eating everything. (laughs) You find the worst things first uh, because you are so hungry. And maybe the next day is a rest day. Yeah, okay. You don't need to eat so much this afternoon or this evening because the training today was hard. If the next day is a rest day, you should have eaten more yesterday evening for today. And then in the evening, you can calm down a bit. So it's, I think... To make your body efficient and to get everything out of the training sessions in terms of adaptation and and making sure your body can also use the carbs when you need to because in the end the races are depending on carbs so if you never have them your body doesn't know anymore what to do with them and this is what you get sometimes with People who are more like black or white, eh, who are no carb or uh, high carb. It's not black or white. It's just look at what you need when and make sure your body gets it. I'm glad you mentioned not using just water in in training. I think it's so important to fuel yourself during. Yes, because where are you burning 
most of your energy it's when you're on the bike so why would you miss this part and or skip this part and and then in the afternoon snack all the time because you feel that you your blood glucose isn't good and that you need it or you come home and drink a coke because you are the last 10k you thought oh my god how far is it <laughs> when you come home empty and you feel like you're gonna eat everything you find then that wasn't a good session you need to come home and feel like yeah hey coach I could have done another hour but okay I'm glad I'm home but I could have done more because I was I'm still full of energy and then your recovery goes quite automatic because you are not empty at all so you are already recovered when you come home empty the time you need to recover from that and all the things you might eat in the afternoon which is too late because the training is already over the effect of eating when you are riding so constantly refueling make sure your body gets some carbs from a sports drink some bars some food you prepared yourself make sure you come home and you feel like you wow you you with the same heart rate you go faster because you're still full of energy and you could have done a longer session but it wasn't necessary because today was this amount of hours the whole afternoon you will not even look for a snack because you are okay and if you compare this to drinking only water because you think it's better and then come home and then maybe only eat a salad and then in the end of the day you do find some snacks because you feel that you still need it for your training quality level it's totally different story and if you do this for weeks and weeks and weeks good or not so good then the result in the race that you do or in the event you will do it's totally different results you will have yeah how are your riders let's let's stick to the trek segafredo women how are they getting the fuel that they need during races i mean with all that intensity and you know women's races are notoriously i don't know active right from the gun yeah yeah they are they are shorter but not uh not less intense that eh? so it's it's true that from the beginning the race starts full gas so in our team we work with Enervit, who is our partner in in sports drinks bars gels and then we have women who prefer to have only fluid food depending on how long the race is but sometimes even for five hours who say i'm good with sports drink and gels which is perfect you can see it in research too the goal is to have your carbs and your water and electrolytes but you can do it in terms of real food or fluid foods and then we have others who say no no for my stomach it's better to keep my gels for the last one or two hours but i prefer to start with solid food and then we have our swaniers who make rice cakes this is something that a lot of writers uh, like a lot and we have team cakes which are cakes low fat low protein uh, not for your health eh, just for your digestion so rich in carbs 
And we also have the, the inner fit bars who can be used. So then they start with the combination of sports drink and each hour, one or two pieces of solid food. So we really aim to go high in carbs from the beginning because it's it's like that, that every hour that you didn't get your carbs, you cannot catch it up anymore. So it's not that you can say, okay, I'll ride for two hours drinking only water and then in the end I'll take six gels. <laughs> then your stomach <laughs> will be quite upset. And every gram of carbs that you can absorb compared to someone who didn't take it yeah in the end it's a lot of energy that is left so if if it comes to a sprint it's the one who has most left that wins so it would be silly to not eat and drink and then in the end you feel like you're empty and that you cannot participate in the sprint anymore well i have held you for a long time this has really been fantastic thank you so much oh, you're very welcome i uh I liked it a lot too. <laughs> That's it from this week's show. I'm still so excited to be back for break, recording, editing, and sharing these discussions with you. You being here, sending me your thoughts, and telling your friends what you've heard and learned is the whole point of the show. So thank you. I'm thrilled you're here and following along. Today's episode with Stephanie is part of a little series on nutrition. So let me know if you have any nutrition or fueling questions for an expert and I'll ask my next guest. Find me on social at hearhersports or email elizabeth at hearhersports.com. We always have great shows coming up, so make sure to subscribe for free to Hear Her Sports on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, bye-bye. I'll just switch off my email and my other things so that they cannot make any noise. Voila. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Kobe Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network.